You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ascp.com/podcasts. ASCP: Empowering Pharmacists, Transforming Aging. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio. I'm Dr. Jaron Stout. And I am Dr. Joanne Pio. We are your hosts of Senior Rx Radio. Today's guest is Dr. Amina Abubakar, owner of Avant Pharmacy and Wellness and Avant Institute. We are so excited to have you on today's show, Amina. My pleasure. So Amina, like I, I tell all of our guests, today you'll probably get a little notification on LinkedIn saying that, you know, I was looking at your profile because I always try to, to stalk our our guests on LinkedIn to see what I can find. And so what I found was it looks like you went to the University of the Sciences in Philadelphia for yes. pharmacy school. Are you originally from Philadelphia or what brought you there? Well, I'm originally from uh, Kenya, East Africa. So yes, and I came to the U.S. for pharmacy school, but I really thought I was going to Beverly Hills because I was obsessed with 90210 growing up in Kenya. So when I had this vision to go to America to school, I had no idea that Beverly Hills was far from where I was going. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So so I went to Virginia first, did pre-pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia, and then I went to Philadelphia College of Pharmacy, which is the University of the Sciences. Yeah. Great. And it looks like you were a clinical pharmacist at Quorum, and you're, you're now a clinical director at Troy Medical, and you were a preceptor at Wingate University, and now you own and operate Avant Pharmacy as well. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I also noticed you you did some time early in your career with CVS. So were you, were you at Quorum before CVS bought them or was that kind of your transition from CVS because they were owned? No, I worked for CVS before they had acquired Quorum. So right after graduation, I worked for uh, CVS for about two years. And then I transition to a home infusion and I worked for Quorum. So did your time working for CVS, did, what kind of an impact did that have on you on what you wanted to accomplish in your career, working for a large chain? Sure. So I'm a very social person and I loved the public interaction. I loved patients coming to the pharmacy counter, asking questions and just connecting and knowing more about their well-being. I love continuation of care That's the reason why I didn't really choose a hospital setting because I just loved being part of the community. So I really enjoyed that aspect, but it was hard to spend time with patients and really address the needs they had in those corporate constraints. And so I think two years was the max I could take. (laughs) I totally understand that. So going back to 90210, I'm team Brenda and Dylan. I just had to add that in there. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But you've accomplished so much in your career. You own three independent pharmacies. You were invited to the White House to present on one of your clinical services. You were recognized by the United Nations. In 2020, you were honored with the Independent Pharmacist of the Year Award. So take me back to 2005, Amina, who just graduated pharmacy school. Do you think that you ever imagined the impact that you would have on the pharmacy profession? No, absolutely not. And I'm a person who, I live day to day, you know? I wake up to solve the problems at hand. 
And I feel like the journey has always been just solving one problem at a time and then discovering that there was a lot of value and that I could help many people. So yes, I never really, (laughs) I could have never uh, written this journey for myself. (laughs) Yeah. And then you, you mentioned that you were in retail pharmacy, you worked at CVS for about two years, and then you decided like, I can't do this. Can you explain like the role and the path that led you to pharmacy ownership? Because I'm sure it's not easy, like, you know, quitting something that's kind of like secure and then going into this new journey. So when I was working for CVS, you know, we were working long hours, you know, 14 hour days. I didn't mind it as much because I really enjoyed when I was working with my patients. But during my days off, I was looking for something fulfilling. So I remember just going online and looking for what I can do in during my days off. And so I Googled maybe independent pharmacies, you know, because I knew I had to be in the community. So it was either the retail chains or independent. So when I Googled, I've got this one number and I called this lady and I was like, uh, she probably thought I was just uh, this crazy person who wanted just to be in her pharmacy. And I said, hey, I'm a pharmacist. I'm not really looking for a job, but if you even have volunteer opportunities where I could come in, counsel patients, do your MTMs. So she invited to meet me for breakfast and we met. And as I was listening to her, we just talked and she said, you know what? I want to take a chance with you. I'm actually going through surgery and I've been looking for someone to help me cover. So I'll just kind of give you my days. And so I helped cover the gaps for her to go through surgery. And I fell in love with her medicine shop. Everyone knew her. So while she was gone, people came in. They were like, oh, we're praying for her. We're thinking about her. And I just saw the the love and emotion that was just real and genuine from her patients. So when she came back from surgery, I had actually grown her business because I just kept up with the same spirit. And then I saw gaps in some of the specialty patients that she was taking care of. And HIV has always been a passion of mine just growing up in Kenya. I grew up just seeing how devastating the HIV disease can be in families and individuals going through it. So I had started counseling some of the HIV patients that went there. I had connected with their doctors. I was working through some drug interactions. So she kept me. (laughs) And so... Then I had the courage to leave CVS because then I was able to work two days with her and then I was working two days quorum home infusion. Wow. And then how did you transition to say, you know, now I want to open my own pharmacy? So yes, that was never in my vision or even my wildest dream. So now that I was hooked to that, uh, that environment, she, unfortunately, she got diagnosed with cancer and she sold her business to CVS. And so there was this huge void that came back again. While I loved everything in the home infusion, I loved the clinical aspect. It was not possible to see patients because I was in this cubicle and I just talked and communicated with discharge nurses and the delivery drivers and only spoke to patients over the phone. And so I, I missed the patient interaction. So now I was trying to find another place to go and then um, I just had that this crazy idea since I couldn't find a job. 
you know, to say, maybe I should just open one. And I had zero business background, zero clue of what even it takes to open an independent pharmacy. But I did it. I love it. And like, what were some of the tools you used to help you? Because you had like no knowledge. So you kind of just jumped into it. Actually, if you guys interview the <laughs> the rep at McKesson, she, he thought I was crazy. <laughs> he said <laughs> to me, I think one day I should just do this talk with Dan. He was so kind and gracious to, to tell me that you need a business plan woman. You know, <laughs> he, he told me. So I went online again looking for how do you open an independent pharmacy and then they were like, oh, connect with a wholesaler. So I found McKesson and I called them and they said, okay, sure. They listened to me and they said, could you present a business plan? I didn't even know how to write a business plan. And I was like, well, I don't have one. All I know is I have this desire to open. That's literally what I know. And so they did not take me. And then I found a local uh, wholesaler, North Carolina Mutual. They believed in me. You know, I told them why I wanted to open and it was a very fortunate, again, God and Google has been my guidance, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so I went back online and I was looking for a space and I had this phone number when I called this phone number. So, hey, I'm looking for a space to open a pharmacy. And this gentleman tells me, yeah, we have a space and he gives me the address. And I'm like, whoa, this is really scary because this is the address across the street from the CVS I had worked at. So it wasn't planned. And when I saw it, then I said, this is meant to be. So so I took the space and I worked with Mutual and I told them I worked in this area. I know a lot of these patients. And so they believed in me and they gave me one year, no interest, uh, no payment for opening inventory. So I was like, okay, now I have drugs. And then I had a friend who was laid off from construction in um, Connecticut. And I called him and said, hey, I have a space. I don't have money, but can you come and help me put together a pharmacy? And so he did. And then my friend who had sold the independent pharmacy, she had all these fixtures that were in the storage. You know, she had her computers and her counters and baskets, and they all believed in me. Little did I know it takes more than baskets, computers, and counters to really open a pharmacy. I learned that later on. But yeah, that's just how it started. It was very organic. I just wanted to take a chance and see what this would be. Very cool. Very interesting. I, I've not heard that that side of your story. And I have heard you explain other sides of, of how you built your business. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to paraphrase what I remember if I'm right. You did have your pharmacy open. You were operating and you were having a hard time figuring out how to stay afloat with all the, you know, DIR fees and, you know, insurance reimbursement wasn't that great. And you were struggling and trying to find new ways of, of staying afloat. And one of the things you identified was to team up with physicians and perform CCMs. And then the, you started doing that and then it kind of branched into more clinical services with Instant 2 and teaming up with local physicians in their medical practices as primary care providers. Is that accurate? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, I think uh, two, three years into the business, I really hated it. I contemplated just closing and selling it many times. That was even before DIR fees. I didn't understand taxes. I didn't understand financials. 
I was a good, what you would say, technician. You know, I was a good pharmacist. I just wanted to take care of my patients. And year after year, I would sit down with my accountant and everything was so foreign to me. He would say, okay, here's your tax bill. And I was like, well, that money's not in the bank. How, how am I going to pay this thing? So just kind of didn't understand cash accounting, accrual accounting. There was a lot of gaps in my knowledge. You know, of course, my patient care was great. My satisfaction was great. And then we started seeing even more threats of, you know, decrease in reimbursement, forced mail order, uh, preferred networks. And it just got tougher and tougher to just survive. And as I talked to pharmacy owners, I thought they were way smarter than me because people would ask me, so what is your cost of goods? And they would use acronyms like WAC minus. And, and I was like, what in the world is this? I did well in calculus and, and, and all this math, but I could never figure out a wholesaler's math, <laughs> you know? And so that's where my frustration was building. And then I, I just asked myself, like, I went into pharmacy. It wasn't the business side of it. It was really the clinical side of things. And because I had built very good relationships with local providers, I was already doing CCM before it was CCM. You know, when I got a patient, I would work up a plan and we would, you know, be on text message level with their providers. And they will say, hey, Amina, I'm starting this new drug. What do you think? So I already had those good relationships, but they didn't have a way to pay me. Until that one day when I first discovered the annual wellness visit, that was the, our entryway into collaborating with these physicians and then built on the chronic care management. And now, yes, a whole suite of Great. So, so you were actually doing it for free before you knew yes. it was a thing. That's another thing I did not know. <laughs> Very cool. So how do you now structure it? Do you have one pharmacist who covers a few clinics or how do you staff it? Is it very problematic staffing a situation like this? You know, growth and scalability is what we keep balancing. It was easier when, okay, here's a clinic, here's my first pharmacist, she would be in there and we would do those relationships. But then as other clinics started coming on board, it was the chicken or the egg, you know, do I hire a pharmacist first or do I let this pharmacist just do one day here and one day there? And that's part that I struggled a lot was uh, committing one pharmacist to one practice. And then um, about maybe three, four years ago, we started that route that we would, what we say once we do a good clinical assessment and business assessment in a practice, we then get comfortable to say it can absorb one pharmacist, or if this pharmacist has to split their time into in separate clinics till we make it viable. But yeah, now we have them dedicated to a clinic, and some clinics have more than one pharmacist. And also, uh, what kind of impact has this had for the patient care when you team up with the physicians and, and for the medical groups? Of what kind of reviews do you get on that? The number one satisfaction comes from the providers because they're the ones who. I learned later they were exhausted as I was running the business of pharmacy. They're running the business of medicine. So especially we've had more success collaborating with independent doctors because there's a lot of similarities. You know, uh, a lot of them just want to take care of their patients and entering into this whole value-based medicine and penalties and upward and downward adjustment and more paperwork is exhausting for a lot of these docs. So whenever we partner, the 
first satisfaction comes from them just feeling a relief because a pharmacist is the, especially in these clinics that may not even have an RN, they may be the physicians, nurse practitioner, PAs, and then they may have medical assistants. So you become kind of the next level, high level clinician. And a lot of these medication related problems no longer have to go directly to the providers. You know, it goes to the pharmacist, you help resolve drug cost issues, drug interactions, prior authorizations, alternative therapies, you know, patient side effects. So they loved it. And then, of course, for our patients, you know, are being taken care of in between visits. So we are catching a lot of things that aren't caught in a 15-minute visit. So the monthly touch points, you know, the yearly care planning, it's making sure these patients are, are fully addressed and the patients seem to like it. So you mentioned that one of your challenges was figuring out how to staff it. So you have three independent pharmacies. One of the independent pharmacies is the community on the outside. And then two are integrated within medical practices. So what were some of your challenges when you decided to expand your business? You stated one that it was hard for the knowing for if you should have one pharmacist at each practice or what were some of the other challenges? So we didn't have staffing issues when it comes to the normal dispensing. You know, that was clear. You know, you have a pharmacy, you have a pharmacist. Now, our clinical arm was growing so fast. You know, one happy provider tells two or three and they call me. They would have a joke and say, hey, I'm calling you because Dr. So-and-so said you could save my marriage. And I would say, what do you mean? I said, no, you kind of come into the practice. You bring me a clinical pharmacist and I don't take stress at home. <laughs> so that's how. So instead of saying no, we would say sure. But then we don't have a clinical pharmacist ready. You know, and that was, okay, do we hire someone or do we go in first and see what they have? Is it viable? Would we like working with them? So that's when it would spread our pharmacist thin. And I'll say, hey, you know, pharmacist so-and-so, instead of doing four days at this clinic, can you just do two days here and two days there? Now they'll be split in two clinics two days a week. And then I'll get another clinic and I'll say, let's take this clinic down to one day a week. Just so we see. So it was the curiosity of going in because every one of these practice is different. So until you get in and you see what their payer mix is, everyone has a need, but can they afford to have us, right? So that's where the balance was. And a lot of places we would have to clean up, we would have to get on the Medicare, look at what their scores are, look at how their contracts are, are they part of an accountable care organization? So there's a lot of work that we call cleaning up a practice. You know, you could go to a clinic, they don't even have any of their medical records in their EHR, you know? So you don't even know what patients you're going to work with. So it takes time. And so building that was always like a risk, you know, risk versus reward dialogue. Are we willing to hire an individual, put them in the clinic? What if that clinic is not going to be successful and I didn't want to hire and then let people go? So we would just spread ourselves thin till we saw a viable business model and then we would hire. Mm. And then is that what led you to create Avant Institute? Yes, because we had a lot of problems, you know, getting things to be profitable 
and just looking at our journey, sometimes we have to take a step back and look at, I was just counting the other day, I think we're up to 19 pharmacists, but everything happened in five-year period. So that is a rapid growth and rapid growth can really hurt you, but we also learned a lot. So we got there quicker, but we lost a lot of money. We had no roadmap. And so when people would call to ask me a question, hey, Amina, do you mind getting on a call? I ha- I just have want a few minutes of your time. I have a question. And they would ask me this question. And I said, even if I gave them a whole hour of my time, you know, it's not going to help them, right? So we had to find a way to get people through the basics and then take them through the milestones, let them anticipate the obstacles. And people would ask, could I come shadow your pharmacist? It was not possible because they're on productivity. And then when people would shadow, they would spend half of the day teaching them basics. And it just wasn't good for our business. So that's when I asked our pharmacist, how do I fulfill both like, the need to help other people successful, but also protect our, you know, our workspace and our time so that our pharmacists are, are able to do the job? And so I said, what if we created this pathway where I would pull you guys out and then we will have dedicated time to be instructors? And that's kind of how it was built. Very cool. So I just kind of wanted to uh, let our listeners know what, what I experienced when I went through your course. I think starting off, I knew more than most pharmacists about how medical practices were, were judged and how they're graded. And I knew a lot about that, or I, I thought I did. But your course took me to a whole new level as far as understanding how they're graded and how to utilize that language when trying to team up with a physician and pitch pharmacist services. And that was, that was a great aspect of it that I think every pharmacist should learn and, and try to implement. And also, I've talked to other pharmacists about how our perspective is different than an NP or a PA or an MD. And adding that new perspective can be so valuable to a, a, a physician's practice. And you hit on that same exact note during during the course as well, which just spoke to me very loudly because I, I've been telling people that for, for years and that you were the first other pharmacist I heard say in the same words or the same wavelength as me. So I can't emphasize that enough that, you know, pharmacists were underutilized and we have a new, fresh perspective that really complements what physicians do so perfectly and so well that once we're in the door and they see the value, they're going to wonder how they lived without it for so long. Absolutely. It's, you know, we are a specialist. We are not the same. Exactly. And I, I think the more pharmacists can be very confident that we really bring that value. And this is, I call this a perfect storm. The fact that they are being penalized, the fact that they're being ultimately responsible for patient outcomes, and they're now realizing I cannot do it by myself. Exactly. It's not sustainable. And if I hire a nurse practitioner PA, they think just like me, we need a fresh perspective to the team. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's our time, pharmacists. Let's all, let's all get on board here and let's start expanding the profession to new heights. So before we close, it sounds like you had a lot of growing pains with your business, you know, kind of just piecing together as you went along. So what are three recommendations you would share for our listeners who want to, you know, break out onto their own? I would say the first thing is you're 
I w- don't be afraid to fail. I think everyone wants to have the perfect road, the perfect day, the perfect contract. No, every experience that you're going to go through, you will fail forward. So fear is just false emotions appearing real. They are not real, <laughs> you know? So ask yourself, so what, you know? And just try. Uh, number two, I would say you really have to start building on your value proposition. And for the longest time, we keep saying we want to be clinical pharmacist, but we don't speak the language to explain that we are not trying to take away from nurse practitioners, PAs, MDs. We are really trying to complement. So if we can learn what are those unique skill sets that we need to articulate, that's going to go far. Because some of the providers, when they hear pharmacists want provider status, they think here comes another medical group that wants to take from us. We don't, <laughs> you know, so learn those unique skill sets to exactly. just say, this is what I want to bring to the table. And then number three is you have to learn the new language. You know, value-based medicine is here to stay. You need to understand all the payment models. There are many out there. And since we have moved from fees for service to value-based pharmacists have a place on the table. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you. And I'm on the same wavelength as everything you said. And I also want our listeners to know that taking your class, I never would have guessed that you were at a point in your career where you were not business savvy because you've you very much come across as very business savvy during the whole course. So Thank you. It's all from failing forward. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with failing forward. That's part of the process. Yes. So Thank you for having me, guys. You bet. Thank you for joining us. We had so much fun and very informative. Thank you. My pleasure. You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ASCP.com slash podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging.